Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast about electronic music and all things synth. I'm Cara C and in this episode we're talking to Henrietta Smith-Roller, aka Afrodeutsche, a composer, producer, international dance floor DJ and now broadcaster with her regular People's Party show on BBC Six Music. Afrodeutsche's debut album came out on the seminal electronica label Scam and her work as a composer for film has led to being BAFTA nominated. To get us started, here's a taste of Afrodeutsche's music. This is an extract from Haia, a track that we're going to talk about, which came out on her first album, Break Before Make, on Scam Records in 2019. And I'm going to say this is the album that kick-started her solo music career. Henrietta, aka Afrodeutsche. Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast. Hello. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. This this is interesting doing a, a podcast opposed to radio. It's like, yeah, it's different. <laughs> yeah, and you're the one being interviewed as well for a change. <laughs> because, yes, one of your recent developments is being a presenter regularly for BBC Six Music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what a job. Um, I still, I don't pinch myself. I, you know, I just think back to when I was buying records like seven inches and now I'm playing them on this show, this, this radio station. And I just think, wow, I would never have dreamt that when I was buying that record, that I would actually get to play it on air on a, you know, national radio station. So it, it still feels like a dream. It still feels like a dream. And it feels like there's a real particular passion about music on Six Music, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's, I, I heard recently it's really difficult to find a place at the station, um, especially um, as a presenter. And I was really shocked because, you know, I, I didn't know that I had a music knowledge that I have. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been into music from, you know, day one and sound has been, you know, my language and how I've been able to communicate. And I just have a brain that retains um, all of this, you know, any genre, um, except for lyrics, terrible with lyrics. So it serves me really well because, you know, the music that I listened to as I, when I was growing up, um, yeah, it's sort of embedded and I've just got this hunger for sound and dynamics in sound. So, yeah, you hear all sorts on my show. David Axelrod this week. <laughs> wow. And are you more of a, um, is it more the melody that gets you? Is there any particular element of the music that gets you if it's because you say it's not the lyrics? Yeah, it's I think it's seasonal for me. Bass lines at the moment, because that's what gets me dancing. But then, you know. Right. That's what we teach in schools. We say um, how, that's how you remember how to spell rhythm. Rhythm has your two hips moving. Is that true? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Innate. It's innate in us. Yeah. yeah. It's the baseline at the moment. Um, 
but uh, followed by the drums, but then followed by synth lines. Mm, mm. It's a combination. It's a combination. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the track as well, of course. Um, brilliant. Well, let's give our listeners a bit of a potted history of how you got to where you are now. And obviously, broadcasting is only a small part of what you do. So um, I'm going to let you start and then I'll add any other prompts if necessary. Thank you. Oh, I always find this really tricky because um, actually I will start with this. Someone recently said I was a polymath and I didn't know what that was. So I Googled it and it turns out I am a polymath. Um, I just find that sound is where I begin so I grew up in Devon, grew up in the West Country, and um, I always loved to record things that were around me. My mum my gave me a, a cassette player that um, I ended up just recording everything. And I had a scholarship to uh, play violin at the university. So I played violin um, until I was 12, from the age of six. And I didn't realise what was happening at the time. You know, I took this test, um, this aptitude test for music and sound, and suddenly I had a violin in my hand and I was having lessons. And, yeah, it all sort of began there. And, you know, I wasn't actually making any music. I was just listening and recording and collecting, really. And uh, I left uh, Devon, moved to London when I was 18, um, and went straight into the music industry. I was working at 19 Management for Spice Girls and S Club 7 and all that. And I still wasn't making any music, but I had just had this hunger for for music. And it wasn't until I moved to Manchester um, that I started to make music. Um, and I had friends who made music here. Um, Graham Massey particularly sort of took me, took me on really and just gave me lots of opportunities to play instruments, you know. I didn't have a drum kit, I didn't have a bass. And I remember one time he said, um, we're doing this thing with Paddy Steer on the radio and do you want to play bass on it? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I needed to find a bass and learn how to play bass real quick. <laughs> and I did. And that was kind of the beginning. And he kind of, you know, gave me all these different opportunities to sing and play drums. And the same with Paddy Steer. Um, and that's sort of where the music making began for me. Um yeah. Did I mumble? <laughs> Not at all. That was wonderful. And that's given me plenty to feed into. So I remember the story you told me about how you got signed to Scam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Um, I was in a band called Silver Club. Hi, Duncan. Uh, and uh, we had a rehearsal room in um, Ancoats in an old mill. And they had this, they had these parties going on in the basement. And we'd gone to this party and I kind of got bored, <laughs> went up to the rehearsal room and was just playing on the drums and just, you know, chilling out. And the nature of this studio was, you know, if your door was open, it was like anyone can come in and, you know, chill and make music or whatever. So the door was open and people just started coming in and Duncan was there and, and I'm playing drums and listening to the music. It's all happening. And Duncan says, hey, why don't you put one of yours on? And I was like, nope it's not happening and he was like just do it so I ooh, I put it I, I'm getting hot even thinking about it right now I was I was very nervous um and I put this track on and I think it was called the beginning yeah it was the beginning and um played it and finished playing and I came away from the drums because I was hiding behind the drum kit 
And this guy comes up to me and says, um, was that yours? And I was like, yes, it's mine. He was like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, maybe you want to send me some music, you know? And I'm like, yeah, don't know. Maybe, sure, random human being. Anyway, he leaves. Duncan comes up to me and says, you do know who that was, don't you? And I was like, no. He said, it's Andy Maddox from Scam. And my mind fell out of my head. It was just this, the, the most extraordinary moment. And I'm so glad I didn't know mm. that it was him and that he was in the room, you know? Mm. And um, yeah, I, I I started to send him music and... Um, I'm not even sure how long I was sending music for, but the beauty of this label is that he curates mm. every release. Right. So artists will send him lots of music and he'll put the the, the piece together. And um, eventually um, we ended up with Break Before Make. Um, and the beginning is on there. It's It's one of the tracks on there. And I'm eternally grateful to that guy because... He was behind me completely from that moment um, without question and still is. Um, and, yeah, it's just a label that, again, just never would have dreamt, you know, would be, yeah, in my world um, to be able to release with them. Yeah. And so Scam, are they related to Warp? Or I know, I know, obviously know them mainly from releasing Boards of Canada, um, a seminal electronica band, mm. um, Scottish band. And um, yeah. are they related to Warp or they just know each other or something? Am I getting confused there? I don't think they're related in any way, but they do share um, people, you know, yeah. people who yeah. are into the, into the same sort of things. There is a Sheffield connection I guess. Yeah. But they are separate, separate labels. Um, but, you know, it's all the same family. <laughs> yeah. And all the same kind of that sensual electronica um, that, yeah, really resonates. So what kit were you using at that point then when that when you made that? I guess you would call it super lo-fi because at the time, I think, was I on Live 9, I think, maybe? And I just had a Korg um, controller, which I still still use. Um, and I was using Ableton with just the built-in, you know, 808 and 909 drum machines. And uh, the Artoria Matrix 12V uh, synth, um, soft synth. And that was my world. That was my soundscape. Um, and for some reason, everything was in there. I had a little bit of an accident. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but I think something needed to be updated. And I remember opening Ableton, opening the Matrix synth, and this really weird sound was just coming out of this soft synth. And I was like, I love it. So I just wrote a whole track around it. <laughs> and I was like, what happens if I switch this off? Have I lost it forever? That's what happened. I lost it forever. That sound was never to be found again. I did that and then made a track called Serendipity Rocks after that happening. <laughs> Serendipity. Because <laughs> you're never going to, you know, you're never going to repeat it. <laughs> Something beautiful about that. Right, yeah, I agree. I think it was the middle, middle. Yeah. That one, that was, it was a tough album, that. It was a, it was an album around a breakup. I suddenly found myself... Um, without somewhere to live, 
um, and was sleeping on my friend's floor. Thanks, Dan and Fee um, and their dog, Giz, totally looked after me. Suddenly I was, you know, without somewhere to live and, and, and I just started making music and was finding myself and I'd found an apartment and this is where this album sort of really began. Um, and particularly the track Haia is one of my favourites, but the middle middle was a tough one. And when you listen to it now, if you know that it's a heartbreak album, um, you'll kind of get it. But it's called Break Before Make because that's what happens in a switch. And it was very much like it was an on-off situation. Um, and I was to start again. Kind of had to be broken just to be made up again. Um, but High Ear is a particularly favourite one of mine because um, there's a synth line that runs all the way through it where I'm actually crying. That's emulating me crying. And I was crying while I was making this track. And this track came together, you know, bit by bit by bit. It was like layer after layer after layer. And um, it the name sounds like it's, you know, ethereal and kind of deep. It isn't. Um, it stands for Habitat, Ikea, Argos, eBay, ASOS. <laughs> Why, you might ask. Um, because, you know, I, I, was, I was trying to find my identity. So I suddenly found myself where I used to have a washing machine. Now I don't. I used to have something to sit on. Now I don't. I need to look different, ASOS you know, going to Ikea, getting cutlery. I had cutlery. I don't have that anymore. Habitat. I'm going to get those cushions that are totally going to, you know, define me again. <laughs> and so this whole track, you know, is, is, a, is a really important one for me. But yeah, it's a heavy one. And am I right in remembering it's all very textural as well? Yeah. That album. Yeah, I, I find that with synths, I can tell a story I like to use synths to hold the listener in a place um, wherever that place is um, if it's melancholic you know hold you there but then it will move into some a place of optimism and it will move into a place of hope but I find that pads really do that for me um, so with pads to to make them interesting and to give them that um, emotion it's padded chords. And so then you have these chords that you can either quickly change or slowly change. Um, and a lot of the stuff on that album, particularly, I will, I won't sequence anything. I'll play it live. So the tracks where you hear things that sound automated in the synths, I'm playing them like this, you know, my fingers are going super quick. And because I love synthesis, but I also love the human element. And so I find that when I can't keep up with the drums, there's a little bit of, you know, latency in my playing. Um, and I just feel like that adds the human element to it and also sort of says, you know, I, I, I can't do these things perfectly. Um, and yeah, I think that's another thing I love about this album is it's it's all played. Mm. Um, nothing's automated except for the drums, you know, mm. um, you know, but it's all there and played. Mm. 
Wonderful. So what about releases since your debut album? Really hard to remember what I've done. I do a lot of work in documentary and film and some TV stuff. So often I forget what I've released personally. Um, most recent thing that I've done is for the Black Artist Database. It's B.A.D. Um, it's a wonderful organisation. I think they're based in London. The track is super jungle, but it's like, it's called A New Love. Um, and it is, it's like a discovery jungle track. <laughs> it's a discovery of love, but through jungle. Um, and I think it's one of my favourite things that I've done recently, just because it's a bit of a swerve from what I think people are used to. Um, I don't release a lot of tracks. And have you programmed those drums or have you sample packs for the actual percussion in there? Because it's so complex, isn't it? The production of drum and bass and jungle is so complex, all the layers. And... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a question. It's, actually, it's a conversation I had from one of the guys from Alternate. Mm. I was like, how did you make what you were making? And they were programming everything. And I used packs, you know, but what I like to do with the packs is turn them into my language. So often I'll use a hip hop pack, but I will just, you know, warp things and speed things up because a lot of these uh, jungle breaks were hip hop breaks. And I just love to speed things up and pitch things down at the same time. And you just have this lovely swing that you get to those kind of drums. So. I, I, I don't like to use packs as they stand. I love to make them sound how I want them to sound. So it's just a bit of play, you know, a bit of playtime. Wonderful, wonderful. And you've also produced sample packs yourself with Spitfire, haven't you? Yeah, I did. Um, I made a sample pack called Spectrum, um, which uh, uses samples from a, a Kima a computer and I built this as a tool for scoring really um, I found that when I was scoring I was just making lots and lots of um, again moving back to the padded sounds again they really work well in film when you're hold when you're trying to hold a narrative or you're trying to um, hold a character in that place, or you're trying to remind the people that are watching and listening of that person or that story. So it's a series of um, sounds and pads, really, that you can you can manipulate, but they also create what I call beds. So they're like launch they're launch pads for the rest of your work and. Um, what I love about this one is, you know, you can use it on any controller and I like to use it on my P30, Technics P30, I have a Technics P30 stage piano. But what I love about it is as soon as you use a controller with a full size keyboard, that patch has range across the entire keyboard. It's not just um, within that octave at different parts of the keyboard. So it's each patch is, it's like you can explore it. You might think that you only have certain parameters, but you can explore with it and, and make your own as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. I use it. <laughs> yeah, sounds A. So, so Kima, tell us more about Kima. Yeah, how do I describe a Kima? Okay, so 
Um, it was a computer built um, in America. I'm just going to get her name right. It was built in 1986 by uh, Carla Scaletti. Um, and she designed all of this uh, software. And how do I describe it? You can load any found sound, any type of audio into this computer and you can create your own language around each patch of sound. So things like you've got, you've recorded your voice, but you want to hear your voice as if you are stood behind a wooden door in a bathroom with rain pouring. Yeah. But you create these patches. It is complex in its in that it's infinite, um, but it's something that I'm just super passionate about because it was before AI, you know, and it's it's just infinite. So it's it, it's like going back to uni really because it's just learning a whole. Um, new language and the interface is super 90s <laughs> it's really really 90s which I'm enjoying also but it's it's used by lots and lots of composers um, and what's interesting about it is it's not a cult but there are only so many uh, computers made and so when you register with it you become part of this list mm. um, and licenses are transferred and you actually see the list of other people who own one. Um, there's a convention in America where people go to share their patches, share their designs. And of course, it's had to keep up with, you know, operating systems. And so um, I believe now you can use them with an iPad um, and, um, so you can actually use it to draw in sound. Um, so it's, it's, it's infinite in that, you know, if you start to think about Atmos and other ways of sharing the audio, it's just phenomenal. So, um, yeah, if you can get your hands on one, do, they're rare, but yeah. So is it a standalone unit or does it work in conjunction with Ableton, say? It's a standalone unit. Right. Yeah, it's a standalone unit. And so you can record within it, but I've found that recording both in it and with Ableton is the best way to, to do that, almost like to back up the work that you're doing because, because you're constantly learning how to use it. Often you don't know how you've arrived at a certain point or why something sounds like it does. Um, so there's a lot of screenshots yeah. <laughs> going on. Um, and I guess it's it's a research tool. It's for it's for the audio scientists out there um, because you know a, a lot like Ableton, you can create your own world. You can make it work for you and how your brain works. Um, and I think that's why I chose Ableton over other doors was because I could create my world that works for my brain and I think it's the same with Kima um, whatever is in your brain you can you know make come alive uh, with that language you just have to learn the language <laughs> wonderful so are you kind of exporting what you've come out with or you will continue to compose the rest of a piece still using that equipment 
exporting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely exporting. It's not a tool for writing. It's for creating sound. It's kind of synthesis, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's a different it's, kind of synthesis. It is. Yeah, that's it, exactly. It's its own kind of synthesis. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful. So how did you get introduced to that then? So it was through um, some friends, actually. Um, Michael England had talked about this computer years ago. And I know that um, Orteca used to have one. And it was just one of those things that floated around for a long time, just in conversation, almost mythical. Um, and then a friend of mine, um, Tom, actually was selling one um and I was like yes please I would love to buy this from you and that's where it began so it's probably been about it's almost 20 years of you know discussing this computer and then finally actually having one it's a long time that isn't it fantastic yeah but talk about organic relationship that's wonderful <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So is Carlos Galetti still alive, do you know? I believe still? so, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm I'm still to find out when this conference is and where this conference is because it's, it's such a global um, machine. It's like, you know, every territory is creating, you know, works with it and for it. I think some people have um, also, you know, made their own uh, plugins. Um, based off of it mm. and so it's it's worth it's worth a deep dive because I think the most obvious place that you would have heard Akima is in Transformers uh -huh. so the sounds that you hear you know when they move and turn into the different things that's Akima yeah um, and so wow. it is it's a wide broad world of synthesis um or you can get absolutely nothing, which is what happens to me. It's like that. I believe I've done, nope, nothing. Why does it sound like that? It sounds like nothing. Okay, I'll go back again. I can feel a documentary subject there. If someone hasn't already done it, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming into my new works for sure, my new project. your process differs or if it differs really when you're working on say film scoring or documentary tv projects or when it's more your kind of whether it's your electronic or more dance floor oriented mm. music yeah there's there's so many I've realized over the years there's so many different approaches to making music it's crazy it's actually quite sad because very rarely do I have the opportunity to just make music that is just from me without question um Usually there is a narrative to it. So particularly with ad work, um, you have a very, very tight deadline. You have a very tight um, brief um, and you need to fulfill that brief. And that's why you've been asked to do that. Um, and so it can be super tough, um, rewarding in that, you know, time is everything to me. And so by completing something in a very short time frame 
is something that I, you know, enjoy. Um, moving to film as a whole different world because, again, you have those parameters of you've been, you know, taken on because you are capable, but also that you are to deliver what they need. Um, and there's only so much of yourself that you can pour into it. But I enjoy it because there's always there's there's always a visual that you're working with, which you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the last thing I worked on was a martial art film. And um, it was just crazy just being able to watch all of these, you know, this, these action scenes. But I, ca I came up with a process to deliver that kind of work because... When you are having to be creative and to a deadline and professional, I have to put it into a framework. So it goes a little bit like this, especially if you're working with people in other countries with different time zones, which is usually the case. I get up at 5 a.m. I have a read, I have a coffee, I get my head together and I set an alarm for one hour and I will focus work at 6 a.m., for an hour, hardcore, I'll set an alarm for 15 minutes, have a break, I'll go and watch Frasier, it's on TV or cheers. Come back again, set an alarm for 40 minutes, work really intensely for another 40 minutes. And I do that in increments that get smaller through, through and through. And by 10am, I've completed a full day's worth of work. And because you're hyper-focused in those time sort of frameworks and it also works really well with different time zones because um if they're in you know LA then you've got time to send over the stems they can listen they can bring back the notes and by the evening you've got all of the information you need to start it again the following day um so it's that is best practice for short deadline detailed note-taking work um for longer for longer things longer projects it's it's slightly more tricky because you have to kind of figure out how you're going to do this intense writing and delivery because you've got to render stems you've got to name things time codes all that kind of stuff you've got to figure that out but also have your life <laughs> as well and do radio and, you know, prepare DJ gigs and all that kind of stuff. So it can be really tricky and it can take a lot out. And I've learned that I need a rest period after delivery of work like that. Otherwise, I melt down, physical meltdowns. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You have to learn to manage that. I think uh, the one about first thing in the morning is interesting because I always find that if you can get to things, you know, avoid, don't don't go to emails, go straight to the station, the creation station. Um, I think you're, this is going to sound a bit hippie or whatever, but I think you're still kind of connected to the subconscious a bit or the unconscious a bit because you're coming straight from sleep. You're still connected to that kind of liminal mm. dream world and all the rest of it, which I find really helps for, for one, clarity of decision-making or choice-making. So, yes, I am going to go with that. But also that Jungian kind of tapping into that before the left brain gets too busy in the day. Yeah. I mean, you've just explained my life. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. I love that word liminal as well. 
um, that's a word I learned recently, and it's that in between mm. time, and it's it just it's it's a really interesting time when you're in a liminal season, when you're in between yeah. something brilliant and you know maybe something that wasn't so great. Um, it's definitely a creative space. The liminal mm. is a creative space, and there's a clarity to it. But how do you manage that? How do you counterpoint balance that with dj gigs with you where you must have to or maybe you start at 5 a.m there too do you <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> it's really really hard because you have a passion for it but you're human <laughs> you know and so it's the human part that makes it hard um i'm not a computer um you know it and so I love it, but it is really tricky. So, you know, I just, like I said before, I'm a time person. Um, setting time parameters helps me function um, as well as a list. So to prepare for Korea, I just DJed in Korea, um, South Korea, and to prefer, prepare for that, I work backwards. So I knew when the gig was, I knew when I would be traveling, I knew when my brain wouldn't want to be doing anything related to anything else before then and then I'll just put in my diary today's the day you're going to look for um Chicago bounce ghetto tech and then I'll know where I am before I get to the point where I'm actually starting to cue tracks trying to you know figure out which ones are going to sound right in that space to the point where I'm actually practicing that set um, so it's 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 a much longer process than I think anyone who doesn't necessarily DJ that often might might not know about. I would say it takes about a month to put a set together um, because I never play the same set twice. And that's something that I've always done and found really important. Um, for many reasons, but one of them is like, I want to have a good time. I want to have fun. And often I want to share something that I found that works with something that I love to play. So, um, yeah, it's it's quite a long process. I think by the time I'm actually practicing it, um, it becomes a very, very different thing because I used to play vinyl and my cues for vinyl were the sleeves and um, the stickers and, you know, I'd written like notes on things. So that those were my cues. But with digital, there are no cues, there are no visual cues. So it's very, very audio based. So you really have to, you have to know your music before you play it because otherwise you're just going to be lost. So to know your music takes time. So I enjoy that process, but it's it's a long one. Yeah, and there's me thinking that once people are really good DJs, they just throw it together, which some do, some do. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it's yeah. lovely to know that it's that curated, really, and that much goes into it. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed a few of your DJ sets over the years. I think it's wonderful. And, and obviously you can tell you're enjoying it. And then, you know, obviously you're, you're, the, the audience feeds off that as well. It's a collective thing, isn't it? Yeah, and a connective thing. Well, may your wonderful adventures in music and sound continue to flourish. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And yeah, all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening and be sure to check out the show notes and further information as well as links and details of the other episodes in the Electronic Music series. 
And just before you go, let me point you to soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts, where you can explore what's on our other channels. This has been a Caro C production for Sound on Sound. Sound.